0: sure that sellers are sort of up to speed on how the process has to work because it's two sides of the same coin, and, if, and you can't bludgeon hole their buying process into your sales process, and if salespeople are all about, you know, getting the signature on the PO by the end of the quarter, something is not going to work out right.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Bill Sanders, Bill's Vice President at Mobis Inc., and he's also the author of the book titled Creative Conflict, A Practical Guide for Business Negotiators. And, no surprise, in our conversation today, we're talking about negotiation. Actually, it's, it's more than negotiation. We're really talking about creative deal-making, and why that deal-making or negotiation is in reality nothing more than a creative process. So we dig into why successful deal-makers and negotiators are like creative sellers because they enhance the process by focusing more on what people need from them as opposed to their own needs. We get into how creative deal-makers, again, like creative sellers, strive to expand a deal's scope while also pursuing a bigger portion of the pie that's available from the buyer. Then we also dive into how creative deal makers surface extra value that bring the sides closer together when bargaining alone cannot close that gap. So we get into this and much, much more. But before we get to Bill, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Let's jump into it. Bill, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Andy. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: It's a pleasure to have you here. So, um, tell us a bit about you and and what you do.
0: So, I've been a negotiating subject matter expert for many years. I got started mm-hmm. um, with the Chet firm, um, yep. Karras' firm. Yeah, Karras Effective Negotiating. Most people will know it from either going through the class or having. Seen the ads in the old airline flight magazines? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's where I remember it from. <laughs>
0: yep, no, no surprise there. And and I worked there for many many years, both with uh, Chet and, and uh, uh, people like Frank Mobus, who was a uh, executive VP there. Mm-hmm. And my job, I would occasionally do some seminar presentations, but my, my main function was to customize content for big customers, important customers of the organization who wanted to have the, the, the content tailored or customized to what their actual, actual people do right. in the workplace. And so in the course of doing that, I interviewed hundreds, if not thousands, of senior VPs, mostly on the sales management side, the purchasing mm-hmm. management side, to help them understand sure. how their people negotiate and how we could train them to be better at negotiating. few years ago, Frank Mobus decided to go out on his own with a negotiating training company that changed the approach somewhat to focus more on uh, creative Mm deal-making rather than sort of one-off negotiations where you win and I lose, but more (laughs) focused on finding value in the negotiating process, making a deal that works better for both sides, and better enabling long-term relationships that are mutually beneficial for both parties going forward.
1: And so Frank started that company. Unfortunately, something tragic happened with Frank.
0: Yes. So Frank started that company and did most of the training. And Frank, while on vacation in Hawaii, was involved in a low-speed motor accident. That uh, broke his neck and he, he passed wow. away a couple of days later from his injuries.
1: Wow. That, yeah. 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 That's like someone who spent a lot of time in my that way. That was kind of sobering to read that. Um, so you've written this book, Frank's the, the co author, Creative Conflict A Practical Guide for Business Negotiators. And, and I love one of the early stories in there about Frank talking with uh, Edward Deming. Um you know, asked this question, you know, how do companies, when they strike this balance between competition and cooperation, and and uh Deming said, Yeah, why do you want to balance it? Just get rid of the competition. I love that story.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately you can't. I mean, the competition is always going to be there, whether it's mm-hmm. just between the two of us or from outside forces that are that are right. forcing us to compete in some way. I mean, it's you know, in a way. You know, the the Frank's take and our take on negotiating is is fairly simple. I mean you 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 do have to be able to defend your interest in a competitive negotiation. But beyond that, you have to be able to find the areas where the two of you can work together to make a deal that's better for both
1: parties. Yeah, I mean it's it's not like you find many situations where the interest of the parties that are entering into a contract are in complete alignment.
0: Well, they can't be. I mean, right. I mean, otherwise we'd already agree on everything.
1: That's right. It's just yeah. here's a
0: contract you sign, I sign. But you know, no contract is ever perfect for either side. So there have to be either areas of omission or you know, out and out disagreement, or, or 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 areas that are not clear. And even if you manage to sign the contract and executing it, you'll find areas where you'll be in disagreement and you'll have to negotiate some
1: kind of resolution. Sure. Well, I like the emphasis you put on it being a creative process because, yeah, I mean, sort of in the Keras days, it seemed like, yeah, it was, let's, let's try to bludgeon the other party to death. Um, it seems sort of linear, but but. I, don't know, I think one of the things that's interesting about negotiation, certainly one thing that's interesting about sales is that it is fundamentally a creative process
0: exactly. And it's become more so over the last few years. You know, if you go back in time, you know a hundred years, fifty years ago the, the 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 buying process for big organizations was much different than it is now. And mm-hmm. there, and and a lot of this book, a lot of the Keras philosophy came from being on the buying side of, right. of, of negotiating. And and there, if you you know, if you were a big organization and the volume was certainly important to a supplier, you could try and bludgeon them into the best deal for yourself. And that was a lot of the focus. Get the lowest price we can pay for mm-hmm. quantity X. Um as time has come forward, things are no longer um, that in that way, in that suppliers need their customers and their customers need their suppliers to help create value in the products and services that are provided. If they don't work together, it, it you'll lose out to somebody else who can work together with you. Um, right. And it's interesting that the buyer's the buying organizations have become much more sophisticated in the last 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50 years. Right. So much more that they understand the buying process and how it can serve them, I think, better than the selling organizations understand the buying process and try to force it into some sort of sales process idea, which they've probably held for 50, 60, or X odd
1: number of <laughs> dozens of years. A hundred years. Yeah, no, that's exactly true, right? I mean, this is this is. there's so much written in the sales world about, you know, you have to help the buyer understand their buying process. And what they're really saying is you have to force fit the buyer into our sales process. Yeah, exactly. The buyer's, the buyer's viewpoint is is Maybe be completely orthogonal to what the sellers look at. In fact, chances are it actually is.
0: Yes. And so with the buyers becoming much more um, sophisticated in running their buying processes, it's, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, I see a lot of people on the sales side, but I, I find that the sailors, the sellers are now struggling to kind of cope with Buyers becoming, you know, more demanding about their process.
1: Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think you see that. Uh, you see it in several dimensions. You see it in studies that show that in the business-to-business sphere, that you know, win rates are down, close rates are down. Uh, the rates of companies making no decisions at the end of buying processes are up. Um, you see it in studies where buyers say, well, you know, all things being equal, we sort of make our decisions to buy in spite of the seller, not because of them. And thus why do we need to talk with them?
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. And if if you know, if if our to provide anything of value to the all the sellers out there who are listening to this, you know, you've you've gotta be able to Add value to the buyer during the selling process. If you're not adding value mm-hmm. for them, why should they even speak to you?
1: And they know that now. Yeah, they know it exactly. Well, I mean that's sort of the standard watchword, right? You got to add value. You got to add value. But I, I think that that as I was reading the book, and one of the things that that you know struck me as on several occasions was that. <sighs> If you were to ask most sellers, I'm interested in your take on this because sort of just reflecting my own experience, but if you were to ask most sellers, they'd say, well, negotiation is something we do after the buyer has decided they want to buy from us. And I look at it as, well, no, this is something that takes place (laughs) from the inception almost uh, with the buyer is that you are negotiating through the selling process well, absolutely, you're making an agreement, you're making many agreements along the way. And many agreements, many trade-offs, the buyer wants this versus that, and so on. And so, you know, I was selling large, complex systems is what I sort of viewed as success is that we had, we'd document the trade-offs along the way, and when we got to the end, at least from a system perspective, not necessarily the legal T's and C's, there wasn't really anything to negotiate at that point, because we had Sort of gone through that process as part of their buying process and part of our sales process.
0: Yeah. So many negotiations along the way. Um, right. You know, and, and so in any sort of complex sale, even, there's a relationship going on. You've built a relationship. Now, yes. you want to make sure that you do the process in a way that will lead to, you know, the, the ability to do future business. Exactly. And and in order to do that, you know, sellers have to really understand and respect the real needs, the organizational needs, the personal needs of the people in the buying position. I mean, it's exactly. if, if 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 and and oddly enough, most buying organizations and most chief procurement officers they they sort of understand how the process is going and what has to happen for them to make successful buys. I'm not sure that sellers are sort of up to speed on how the process has to work because it's it's two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. and if, and you can't bludgeon whole their buying process into your sales process. And if salespeople are all about you know, getting the signature on the PO by the end of the quarter, something is not going to work out right.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, still a hard lesson for many sellers to to learn. It's it's yeah. And you you talk about this in the book because you cite Adam Grant and his givers and given his book Give and Take and his definition of givers, takers, and matchers. Um, as you say, you know, creative negotiators are focused more on what. The buyer needs from them as opposed to, hey, I need this order this week.
0: That's right. If you want to make a good deal, you've got to understand what the other person wants, what they say they need, what they really need, and the, the, the strength in, I think, being a good salesperson is being able to figure out what their real needs are so that you oh, can um, match them in a way that satisfies you know, what they really need in the deal. And it's it's funny, a lot of even buying organizations come to the table with you know very specific lists of what they need, but they're asking for the expertise of the salespeople to help them you know refine and ferret out mm-hmm. and and make their needs and want lists better so they can make a better buy for the organization, right. It's an opportunity for the salesperson to really do an outstanding job and build their business and their account and become closer with their customer that sometimes goes wanting because they're just more focused on getting the order in by the end of the quarter.
1: Yeah, and that whole issue in terms of, you know, then you're really exposing your motivations to the buyer in terms of what you're really there for. You may have started off the whole uh connection relationship with them by saying, you know, hey, we're here to the help, we're here to help you understand what the problem is, how we can help you solve it, and by the way, can you sign the order by Friday?
0: Yeah, so you make promises and um, uh, little agreements along the way which you may not be living up to under the pressure that's imposed by your organization. Now, what's going to happen and I think we're seeing it, is if the salespeople aren't providing value by Providing good information and expertise to help the buyers make smarter decisions, they'll just bypass them. They'll find ways to buy online or to buy from other organizations who have a different selling philosophy. And uh, you'll you'll, you'll just end up out of the loop. Because the buyers, most people don't understand that buyers have, they don't have time on their hands. They're very busy people. They do a lot of transactions, they negotiate a lot of deals. They've got an in-basket that's very full. And it, if you're not helping them with their job, they'll, they'll just cut you out.
1: Yeah. yeah. I wrote about this in my first book. If you know, they're not earning a return on the time and attention they invest in you, you're not going to get more time.
0: Yeah. So how can salespeople negotiate better? Can, how can they negotiate more creatively? Um, I think it starts by having a better understanding of the people you're selling to, their jobs, what their jobs are, what their responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes before even looking at the any deal itself. But then when you start looking at the deal, how can you explain things to them in a way that helps them understand the values that you're bringing, which mm-hmm. might involve You know, stories, uh, examples, and it's not necessarily this feature does this, and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread.
1: Yeah, well, I think that that the perspective, and this is why I like using the word deal making, because this is sellers really need to have that perspective in mind. Is is they're not closing an order; they're they're making a deal. They're making a deal. And, and that deal-making starts, as I said, very, very close to the beginning of, of your initial interactions with the buyer. You start setting the stage for, and you're creating this vision of what this, yeah, you know, this vision of what ultimately create a vision of success for the buyer. And that encompasses really what the deal is, at least in my mind, as how I've used it. And that's what you're working toward. Correct. And then uh-huh. there are
0: a lot of details along the way and a lot of unspoken yeah. and undiscovered uh, details that can help make a better deal, which is sort of the, um, the, the, the main theme of, of creative conflict, which is that the, the best deals will happen when you don't rush to closure, when you allow the conflict that exists between one side and the other to, to, to sit there and foment and to surface mm-hmm. the possible questions or, or little solutions that can lead to making it a better deal. Because there's, in any deal, there's all kinds of trade-offs. There's things that you can do for me that cost you very little, but that I value mm-hmm. highly. Right. At the same time, right. there's things I can do for you that cost me next to nothing, but that you value highly. And when we can figure out what those things are and trade them off one against each other, we can come out with a bigger and better deal.
1: Yeah, there was an article published, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so ago in the Harvard Business Review about a similar concept. I think it's called tie-breaking selling, which was, you know, when you're you're, uh, in a tight competition, what are those things that that don't cost you a lot but have outsized value to the buyer? And being able to identify those can, yeah, help move a deal forward. Exactly, but
0: it's it's a creative endeavor to in, to yeah.
1: identify those
0: because sometimes the buyer doesn't even know what those are.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why you. That's why you said you have to be creative and keep surfacing them throughout. That's why, yeah, I just never understand. Well, I understand, but I mean, I, I, you'd think by now people would stop doing it, is is people want to rush to what they think is a negotiation. With the buying organization uh, or the procurement organization, when they miss the opportunity to do a lot of negotiation with, you know, economic buyers or the people actually using the product before it gets to procurement,
0: and even the procurement people as well. Um, sure. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity to, to do a better job of an, of agreement making, which will just make the next agreement much easier. Um, yeah. Now it's it's. In a way, it's sort of understandable because negotiation is something that most people really don't enjoy. When it, it gets tense and the conflict is is present and it's palpable, it's there. There are a lot of people who are conflict averse, and there are a lot of salespeople who are conflict averse. Oh,
1: and trust uh, you me, know, I know that. Right? Oh sure, yeah, I I I have a story about a, a seller that you know, had to get up and leave the room. Yeah, a guy that worked for me, and and uh, you know, I'd be in the middle of negotiations, and yeah, he'd get so tense he'd have to leave the room.
0: Yeah, so a, a lot of being a good negotiator is just being able to live with the tension and conflict, not uh, you know, not to be um, you know combative about it, be be pleasant about it, but keep the tension, keep the conflict there, and keep the discussion going until better ideas can surface.
1: Well, but I think that's that's sort of the issue with a lot of people in in selling because you know you describe your continuum of negotiating continuum of which you know you've got bargaining at one end, you know, creative deal making at the other is, is most people think of negotiation as this bargaining, right? The Chester karras approach to it, uh, sort of zero sum game type approach to it, and that's why they get nervous rather than looking at it as as you. Frame throughout the book is yeah this is an opportunity to exercise your creativity to work with someone to help you um, enlarge your share of the pie. Yes, as you talk about it.
0: That's right. Now, but you can't discount the kind of the hard bargaining tactics because they're going to show up, and you need to understand them and you need to be able to deal with them. You might sure. even have to be able to use some yourself because you got to start somewhere. You can't move sort of along the continuum from hard bargaining to creative deal making to maybe relationship building right and you can't just jump to relationship building i mean if you've got no history of trust between the two parties why should you trust me why should i trust you we can't sort of act in that way we have to work up to that point so so hard bargaining makes a lot of sense when either you don't know a lot about the the the, the room that the other person might have to negotiate, how much padding is in their proposal, you don't know a lot about um, you know if they will really do what they say they will do you, you got to work up to that
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean you're sure it's like in sales you're you have to build a certain amount of trust and credibility, get to that you know, relationship stage as you talk about I don't know that you necessarily always have to have hard bargaining as a a part of that it doesn't mean that you don't have things that you yeah you, know, you just can't move on that that you will negotiate hard on for sure
0: well well and and when I say hard bargaining, it doesn't have to be i don't it doesn't have to be actually hard it can just be anything that keeps you from making an agreement. It can just be well we're going to have to take this under advisement i'm going to have to meet with some people and talk about it i mean that's not mm-hmm. it's not it's not hard, competitive, rude, or threatening. It's just uh, keeping the, um, you know, keeping the disagreement alive.
1: Right. Well, and I think that one of the things that you, yeah, as I interpret what you're writing about in the book is that, and and I certainly agree with this, is that too often people want to push sources of conflict down the road in sales. And you know, the sources of conflict are actually opportunities, and you're much better off surfacing those as you go along, uh, abs- what-
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of uh, a big buying organization that we've worked for kind of discovered that along the way that, you know, it's it's it it doesn't make any sense to go, you know, days and weeks, you know, hammering through this twenty million dollar contract when we didn't address. Something that's going to, you know, a- end up blowing up the process in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Get get right to those conflicts. Those are sources of opportunity.
1: Well, sources of opportunity. They're also opportunities to continue to qualify the opportunity itself. Because um, you may encounter some of those along the line that just are non-starters for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Some some agreements are not uh, are not possible. But it's better to right. find that early out rather than way down the road. After you've right. devoted lots of time and effort and and uh, you know um, uh, emotional commitment to a deal that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Fortunately I see that all the time. Right, as people think things are going well, but there are these these you know points of conflict or areas of contention that you know are there, and it's like well, address it right this is this is a way you're continuing to qualify the opportunity. this is a way that you're moving the deal forward, you're providing some value to the buyer by addressing it because uh, they're questioning it as well
0: yeah, yeah, exactly and uh you know buyers are getting better at uh, you know in the older older days the 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 sellers had most of the knowledge. it was a very asymmetric sort mm-hmm. of playing field um, well buyers are getting that knowledge is more available now with the, with the the internet and, you know, cross-functional people contributing more to the buying process. Um, you know, good buying organizations can do their own cost estimating and clean sheeting and less of this stuff is a mystery. So, so sellers have to be able to um, understand that their buyers know a lot more than they used to, and you can't just get by by saying, you know, this is this is what this is what you need to do.
1: And I think it's further sort of complicated, if you will, by the fact that in many product categories, the differences actual differences between the products are fairly slim. They become more interchangeable, especially in the software world. That um, yeah, what you're negotiating is <laughs> is a little different, right? It's, it really is trust based in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, um, it's not just about the product. It's about all the services that go along with it and all the well, right. support. And, and, it's, and it's the process itself. I mean, I, I'm sure you're aware, but uh, one of the marketing research studies that I, I always took to heart many years ago um, it came from buying surveys of their satisfaction with the buying process. And, and, and it wasn't the buyers who got the best deal or the lowest prices. It was the, the buyers who were most satisfied were the ones who felt that during the sales process the selling organization actually listened to what they had to say.
1: Yeah, I mean the, they talk about then the the Challenger sale is I think the number always sticks in my mind It's like you know fifty eight percent buyer surveys you know fifty eight percent of their decision was based on the buying experience with the seller.
0: So, so a lot of that, the negotiation and negotiating is a chance to improve the buyer experience. Yeah, by, absolutely. By doing it well, by finding more value, by better digging into and probing and understanding their needs and what they're trying to get out of things, coming up with a deal that they're satisfied with and that you're satisfied with and works for your, your, your organization as well. Negotiating is a very important part of that. And and if you're hesitant to do it, if you don't want to do it, if you just want to get it over with, if you concede too fast, you know you're missing all these opportunities.
1: Well, as you talk about in the book, you write that all negotiations are not the same, and same point I make about sales is you know, no two sales situations are identical, and that's that's great as a seller, right? I mean, rather than just serve you know, walking through robotically walking through a process, there's not, opportunity I said, to exercise your creativity. To help the buyer, to help yourself, right. So, talk about the continuum. So, the Mobis negotiating continue, because I think continuum, because I think it's a great mindset or framework for sellers to understand um, negotiation.
0: Yeah. So, it's used sort of to answer the, the question. You know, why are not all negotiations the same? And the reason they're not all the same is that, um, well, there's many reasons. First, no two people doing the negotiating are the same. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but anybody's needs and wishes and what they understand and what they want is different. That we all see value differently. That value is subjective. I mean, we're making this mm-hmm. deal in the first place because you're giving up something to get something you'd rather have. Whether it's your money if you're on the buying side or me, I'd rather have your money than the product or service I'm selling. But everybody values these things differently value value is subjective and because of that we can we can make these trade offs so the negotiating continuum says that you know there's a couple of different ways to negotiate and different buying selling transactional scenarios and and the first is hard bargaining you know typified by say haggling at a bazaar or even the way you know we used to buy cars at a car dealership here you'd 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 just you'd go in and you'd argue over pricing um any other terms or conditions or added Mm -hmm. features but it'd be very much a zero-sum game hard bargaining anything i win comes out of your pocket and vice versa so
1: well that sits at one end sits at one end of the continuum
0: that's at one end of the continuum, and it doesn't hurt to start there if you don't know who you're dealing with. I mean, why mm-hmm. would you not start there right um, but in almost every situation, there's an opportunity to make a better deal for both parties and Here we get into what we call creative bargaining, where you can make trade offs and I'm not just talking about like split the different compromises. But you can actually trade value for value to make a better deal for both both parties. That's that's the continuing bargaining, the continuing, uh, uh, excuse me, the creative deal-making part of the continuum. And on the continuum, as you move farther to the right, you can use the negotiating process to build better and stronger relationships, to make Doing business in the future uh, um, easier and better for both sides. We say that in in um, in hard hard bargaining, it's it's really all about um, one issue, like the price. In creative deal making, it's about the overall deal. Mm -hmm. And in relationship building, it's not necessarily about this deal. It's about past deals and future deals and everything we'll do together as as in a in a mutually beneficial relationship. And you have to negotiate differently
1: in those different areas. Yeah. So how's it differ, let's say, between the relationship versus the creative deal making?
0: Well, in the in the creative deal making, you're still focused on this deal. I mean it's this deal is mm-hmm. the be-all and end all, but you want to make it as as valuable to you and your organization as you can while at the same time providing as much value and making it as valuable to the other organization as you can. In relationships, um, you have to somehow be a little kinder and a little gentler in the process. Where maybe you have to work harder to develop trust. You have to be willing to take a hit sometimes because the relationship is more important than this deal. So, right. so some of the things that you know we learned from our moms as as kids are ways you have to treat relationship partners. Look, okay, um, I'll take the hit on this one, but you owe me one, Andy. hmm Right? You, you have to be willing to take turns. You have to sometimes not take the big piece of the pie. And And what happens in relationships is, whether they do it formally or not, both sides kind of keep score. And if you find... That in a long-term relationship, if you keep getting the short end of the stick, you'll eventually work to get even or to get out.
1: Right. Well, and so do you pass through? Seems to me like that you really sort of pass through creative deal making on the continuum to get to the relationship building, though.
0: Yeah, you probably do. It's I mean, it's not it's not a requirement that you do. I mean, sometimes two people can come together that you mutually see my needs and you're committed to taking care of my needs as I am for you. And right off the bat, you can sort of negotiate in a, in a relationship mode. But I, mm. I wouldn't say you should trust that until you see some sort of history and have right. some sort of proof that there's, there's actual trust. See, you can only negotiate in this way when I believe – that you've got my back and you're looking out for my best interests as well mm-hmm. as your own.
1: Right. Well, and I think one of the ways you demonstrate that is through creative deal making because what you're doing, and you talk about this in the book, is is you use the term you you grow the value pie for everybody, right? That they're all sharing is that is creating value for the buyer. Oh, absolutely. And that so that that to me is you know huge trust building, right? Is that um, step along the way, and having done that, then that is a foundation on which to keep keep building the relationship.
0: Yeah, very very much so. And people say that this um, can't happen, and a lot of times it it does end up happening at you know higher levels in the organization. People will say, you know, hey, you know, I'm a low level salesperson, I can't commit to do this kind of thing, which the customer would really benefit from. Um, you know, I got to go through my boss and my boss's boss, and and people same thing on the buyer's end. But well, we can't do this for the seller. We got a very strict requirement limits, and this is all we can do. And how can we do a creative deal? We've got to fit everything into the spe- specifics we've outlined here. And sometimes these things do happen at higher levels, but I'd say it's always worth the time to explore them.
1: So I've got a question for you. Yes, yeah. this is sort of sure. philosophical question. Is correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you know, my, my experience has been is look, yeah, we've got this, we go through this creative deal making, which is really happening in sort of the, the pre sales environment by and large. And before the customer has even made their final selection of a vendor. And when they've done that, when they've made that final selection, and then if you've done, like I said, the creative deal making, you have served on the system part, then you've got these sort of the legal. Ts and C's and and so on I see those sort of two separate phases, and quite honestly, I've never really known many sellers that are good at the second one and and I was wondering what your thought is because I you know, I've been in a number of startups you know selling very complex technical stuff, and you know we didn't require the sellers to do that work. We had you know contract negotiators to <laughs> once the vendor had made their selection and we had done all the trade-offs and the creative deal-making around what we were actually selling. Then for the business C's, you know, we brought in contract negotiations because it took the sellers. We didn't you know turn them into sort of this this oppositional bargaining position because they had a, a relationship to maintain.
0: Well. Yeah, I think you're correct on that. And lots of times, um, you know, the, the for some organizations the the salespeople do sort of end up being the point man on that, but but it's their legal organization in the background saying, no, they've gotta to agree to this, they gotta sign off on this, we can't accept this that they're saying, and, and it can become very adversarial. So right. yeah, and salespeople are not that good at that because you know it does require a lot of um, you know, expertise. Beyond what yeah. a salesperson should be expected to bring to the table. Exactly. What plus- the salesperson should bring to the table and may sort of be you know, a contributor or a spokesperson or a point person on the negotiation. These deals are too complex that you can't do it all on your own. What you have to be able to do, though, is negotiate well with your side as well as the other <laughs> side, and right. you have to be able to provide the ammunition – to their lead negotiator to negotiate with their other people right and absolutely it's a it's it's a challenge um but again, you've got to be creative in all sort of areas that this is going on
1: yeah no i I asked the questions because i again I urge organizations as is one of the best hires they can make, it's, again especially if you're selling things on the more complex side it's just yeah, when you get to that point where the selection has been made and and you've, like I said, done the deal making, you hand off that final, you know, T's and C's negotiations that become, can become more adversarial, the people who are pros at it. And I found it it you get your salespeople focused, staying focused on the relationship and staying focused on the next deal and not getting bogged down in in the details because you know, once they've already been told they're gonna win the deal by the the vendor, and then they get into this detailed, I said, T's and C's negotiation. Yeah, sellers that have a real conflict.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's um, there are it's people's jobs, legal yeah. lawyers, commercial interest people to to work out those details. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, you've set the stage to where th- there's a chance that you can get those done. Now, what you don't want to do. Is have no understanding of what these things are and where they might blow up in your face. So
1: mm-hmm. you
0: lead everything down a road to where it's impossible for your legal and TNC people to consummate the deal. If right. if you get to there and blow it, you know, then then then, then you gotta accept some blame for that. And maybe you right. have to bring them in early on. Exactly. To make sure you're not leading things down a road that's not going to pay out.
1: Well, just as you would if you're again you're selling a deal with things complexity, you'd bring in your customer success team, you'd bring in you know your post sale implementation onboarding team before winning the deal. Actually, they're part of of you know the value that you're adding to the buyer. So you want them to see that to yeah, help exactly. them make their decision exactly
0: Similar. and and there's there's uh nothing wrong, and I would say it's very helpful to talk to the other side and say, "Look, we want to see your legalese early on in the process it's, absolutely in a way, it's actually getting them more more uh more willing to take that step when it comes to it
1: yeah yeah i think i agree i think more more broad bought in mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah i mean i just i just I, I encourage people to read the book because I, I I think this this mindset shift about creative deal making as an element of of selling and not thinking about negotiation just as a, something that takes place <laughs> takes place excuse me after you've been told that you've been the selected vendor uh, is just a huge mind shift change that needs to take place because again you're thinking about how can I. When you think about it in terms of deal making, as especially if you're, you know, not doing it in a you know, bargaining zero sum perspective, but you know, trying to enlarge the value that everybody's is going to receive from this, that's the perspective you need to have as a seller. Yeah, yeah, I it's think not so. about not about pitching your pitching your drill, but you're yeah you know, selling the holes.
0: Yeah, exactly, and exactly, and uh, you know, I've seen too many sellers. Although I've seen. I've seen horrible mistakes on the sides of sales management too, who oh. who, who somehow <laughs> believe that their salespeople are just terrible negotiators, and if they buy them a book or if they put them through a negotiating course, all of a sudden they'll make better, they'll make more deals at higher margin, and they'll close more deals. And so they're they're sort of looking for some kind of magic bullet, and they turn mm-hmm. to sales training because. What they really are saying is they have no faith in their people, and we can, we, can, we can give them something real easy and quick, and all of a sudden, they'll be top performers. Now, and, and negotiating training and book reading doesn't work like that. But if it helps you understand and take a better look at who your customer is and why they say what they do and what they really need and how to probe for that information so you can satisfy their needs with what you have to offer... You'll be a better salesperson.
1: Oh, absolutely! And so, one last point I want to talk about, which I loved in the book, uh, you talk about um, you call it divergent thinking, but ambiguity, because <laughs> you know this is this is so hard for sellers increasingly these days. Is you know they're sort of pre-programmed to say, look, buyers all have similar needs; they're going to react this way to certain stimuli, and so on. We start... And, as we talked about earlier, you know no two negotiations are identical, no two buyers are buying situations are identical, and there's no predetermined outcome is yeah, you have to have a pretty high tolerance for ambiguity, and that's desirable, yeah, yeah, when it comes to negotiation
0: exactly, you have to be able to 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 live in this tension, possibly tension filled or at least conflicted or disagreement area. Right. Where you really don't know a lot about what's going on. and, and it's the people that, that, that become the best negotiators are sort of the ones who are the most curious by nature and the ones who are, are, are most willing to dive deeper and deeper and deeper until they finally hit the source of the problem and, and right until they understand until they understand because right y- y- sometimes a lot of times we walk in thinking we understand and we don't realize we have no idea whatsoever what's going on here and you got to be willing to dig and dig and dig until you, you 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 really get at the issues
1: yeah i think that's right that's what sets people apart is to take the curiosity and and be willing to go beyond what you think you know to true understanding right and yeah. if you get there then you're in a position to now to really start helping the buyer
0: Exactly, and if and believe me, if you can help buyers because their job is difficult. If you can help buyers be better at their job, they'll they'll trust you more, and you'll 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 get more work, and you'll do more more business with them.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Bill, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for joining me.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Andy. It's been my pleasure. Hope uh, your people find this really valuable, and uh, I just encourage them to look at the negotiating. Process is not some kind of add on, you know, bad part of their job, but something that can make their lives better and easier.
1: You know, I, yeah, that's an integral part of selling, right? That's the way I want people to think about it because it, it truly is. And the way you lay it out uh, supports that. So if people want to uh, learn more about the book or connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Well, the book is published by Harvard Business Review Press. They can find out more at that site or it's, it's uh, available on Amazon as well. Um, they can reach me through um, the Mobus Creative Negotiating Training Organization, which is mobusinc.com M-O-B-U-S-I-N-C dot com on the web. Perfect. All
1: right, Bill, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Bill Sanders, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or every listen to the podcast. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.